leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Retail prices for more than 100 widely used specialty drugs rose nearly 11% in 2013, according to a new report from AARP Public Policy Institute. The report found that the average annual cost of a specialty drug used to treat chronic diseases rose to more than $53,000, greater than the U.S. median income, and more than twice the $23,500 median income of people on Medicare. We spoke to Lee Purvis, Director of Health Services Research in AARP's Public Policy Institute, about the report, trends that are fueling demand for these drugs, and whether there are public policy solutions to rein in rising drug prices that can be implemented without harm to innovation. Lee, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to discuss the AARP's recent study on specialty pharmaceutical drug prices, its ramifications, and what policy steps, if any, should be taken. Perhaps we should begin with a, a definitional matter, though. What What is meant by specialty pharmaceuticals within this report? That's actually a great question because specialty drugs really haven't been defined yet. Um, our, our particular definition is really drugs that are pretty expensive um, and are drugs that are administered or handled a little bit differently than other drugs, so the drugs that maybe are injected or handled intravenously or required refrigeration. What did you include here, and, and how did you account for new drugs introduced during the study period? We actually base all of our reports off of one market basket, which we create uh, from a very large data set uh, that we get from a number of different places and combined. Um, and what we look for are the drugs that are most widely used by Americans that are age 50 plus. So how have specialty pharmaceutical prices changed over the study period? They have climbed incredibly quickly. <laughs> um, the, the average increase in 2013 was 10.6%. And normally when you look at the trends with these products, it's really just the, the bar heading upwards. Um, and that's really something that we're accustomed to seeing with specialty drugs and with non-specialty brand name drugs. Um, we've been tracking prescription drugs for quite a while now, and these trends really haven't changed. Oh, were there meaningful differences between therapeutic categories? Where, where did you see the biggest changes and, and where were the smallest? So usually where we saw the largest changes were in cancer drugs. That was where we saw some really meaningful high price differences or price changes. Um, the average increase for, for cancer drugs was 77.2% in 2013. So that's obviously 
a, a massive change. Um, we also have some therapeutic categories that actually saw negative uh, price changes. And those were uh, hormone therapies or minerals and electrolytes. So they were drugs where there's typically a lot of generic uh, drugs in the, in the category. And just to clarify, when you say there's a 77% a change, does this in part driven by the introduction of new drugs or is this actual price increases to drugs that have been on the market during the entire study period? This is actual price increases. Because our market basket is held static, um, we are just looking at the products that were in our market basket when it was created and then the increases or decreases, as the case may be, um, over the years. So any, any reason to account for the difference in, in the rate of growth between the different therapeutic groups? It really comes down to manufacturer whims, unfortunately. Um, there's nothing in the U.S. market to really control prescription drug prices. So if a manufacturer decides it wants to increase its price for whatever reason, there's nothing to stop it. Well, can you put the growth rate in some perspective? How is it compared to the growth in inflation and the growth in the prices of, say, generic drugs or, or brand name drugs? Sure. Uh, general inflation in 2013 was 1.5%. So for specialty drugs, we're looking at a sevenfold difference. Um, for brand name drugs, the increase in 2013, at least for our reports, was 12.9%, so higher. But when you look at specialty drugs, they're much more expensive. So when you see a relatively comparable percentage change, it's much more meaningful in terms of dollar differences. Well, what's the implication here? What does it mean for patients, for employers, and for payers? It really is an issue that impacts everyone. Um, if you have health care coverage, even if you are not taking one of these drugs, you are paying for the cost associated with them, either through higher premiums or higher cost sharing or both. Um, and from the taxpayer perspective, um, we're looking at you know national, state, local programs that are paying for these products. And basically the choice is either they increase their spending and therefore taxes go up or the programs themselves get some sort of cut, neither of which are really things that we want. Um, so it really is something that impacts everyone. And we've been talking in terms of percentages, but what, what kind of dollar layouts does this represent for, for different individuals and pairs? This actually is an incredible amount of money. Um, the average annual cost of a specialty drug in our market basket was more than $53,000 in 2013. And we, we like to try to compare it to income because we think that's a relatively meaningful comparison. So that's greater than the median household income twice the median income for Medicare beneficiaries and almost three and a half times higher than the average Social Security retirement benefit. So it really is dwarfing what a lot of people are making in a year. One of the issues the healthcare system faces is the changing use of specialty pharmaceuticals. How is utilization of these drugs changing and what's driving those changes? That actually is a really important trend that we've been following. Um, it used to be that specialty drugs were used by a relatively small proportion of the population. But we're now seeing specialty drugs entering the market that affect much larger portions of the population. The two that we really like to point to are the hepatitis C drugs that came out recently. And we're looking at a patient population there of around 3 million. But then we can also look at the PCSK9 inhibitors, which treat high cholesterol. And those actually treat as, much as, as many as 15 million people. So we're seeing more of these drugs coming on the market to treat more people. And another thing worth keeping in mind is that the ones that actually are on the market already usually see expanded indications. So there are more of them coming, and there's more of them, um, more people using the ones that are already here. I, I take it we're also seeing a growth not only in, in the incidence of chronic disease, but the use of specialty pharmaceuticals to treat that? That is absolutely the case. And that's a point that we always try to make when we're speaking about this issue, 
is that this isn't just us talking about a one-time cost for someone. When we're saying that one of these drugs costs, say, a Medicare beneficiary a few thousand dollars a year, that's something they're looking at for the rest of their lives. And, of course, uh, something you're sensitive to is the aging population. How does that figure into all this? We actually tend to look at it from the perspective of Medicare coverage, which isn't quite as generous as I think a lot of people assume. Um, Medicare Part B, as in boy, which is what covers physician office-related visits, cost-sharing under that part of the program is 20%. So if you're prescribed a drug that costs several thousand dollars and you're responsible for 20% of it, that obviously is a lot. Again, if you think back to their income, which is around $23,500. What role do, do biologics play in the, in the world of specialty pharmaceuticals and, and, and in what's driving prices here? Biologics are actually a subset of specialty drugs, and they are something that a lot of manufacturers are focusing on these days. Um, if you're more cynical side, you could say because there really isn't a whole lot of competition for those products right now. FDA was only recently granted the authority to approve what we consider to be generic versions of biologics or biosimilars, and thus far only one of them is on the market. So you can right now launch a biologic with relative certainty that you're not going to face competition anytime soon. And again, these are drugs that have very high prices associated with them, so that, of course, is driving up spending. Well, we are seeing, as you mentioned, the first biologic biosimilars coming to market in the United States. Europe is, is ahead of us in this, these efforts. Yeah. Do you see the arrival of biosimilars as providing any meaningful downward pressure on specialty pharmaceuticals anytime soon? I think we're going to need a lot more of that on the market. Um, it's pretty much the same mechanics that work in the generic industry where you need three or four of them to really start driving down prices. And I think we're going to need something similar in the biosimilar market. Um, and it's going to take them a while to get that many products in the market and to have that many manufacturers that are willing to make the investment to manufacture these products. So well, it's going to be a while. Your report came as the GAO released a separate report on the high cost of new medicines and Part B drugs. And the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services held a forum on prescription drug prices. Key senators want to open the door to drug importation to give consumers access to lower prices. Is that a realistic approach? Is that meaningful? It really depends on how it's done. It's something that we have certainly supported, long supported in the past. Um, and we're, you know, it's certainly helpful and it's something that will uh, help reduce spending. We just want to make sure it's done in a safe way. There's also been a, an effort to tie healthcare pricing more broadly to performance. There has been some experimentation with this around drugs. Some of the cancer organizations and hospitals are trying to implement comparative effectiveness strategies. Is there a practical solution to tie drug payments to performance or at least implement comparative effectiveness strategies? Implementing comparative effectiveness is actually something that AARP is really strongly supporting. Um, we think that that's really a, me a way to get meaningful competition into the market. Um, and, you know, we really just think of it as it's, it's proving that your, your product is worth what you're asking us to spend on it, which right now doesn't really exist in the market. Um, I, I do think that will be something that's helpful. Well, there are other alternatives such as price controls or allowing CMS to use its buying power to negotiate prices. Industry has long argued that such measures would threaten future innovation. Is that a legitimate argument? And if so, what do you see as the solution? How do we make pricing reasonable without robbing innovation? And that is the challenge. Um, we've long said that any type of policy proposals that, that kind of delve into this matter really do need to balance access and affordability with ensuring that innovation continues. Um, and that's going to be a tough balance. 
On the other hand, um, a lot of the industry's arguments are based off of data that none of us have seen. And there's been a lot of controversy as to whether or not they're actually based on real data. And that is something that we certainly would like to see and is why we've actually been pushing for transparency as well, which is something that's been seen at the state level. Um, it would be really helpful to have the kind of information that, you know, it's kind of a trust but verify situation where if they tell us that something costs them billions of dollars, we would like to see evidence of that. Lee Purvis, the Director of Health Services Research in AARP's Public Policy Institute. Lee, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.